the human body is so complex that there's no way that any watch is going to be able to tell you everything you mm -hmm. need to know. Welcome to the Be Rad Podcast, where we explore ways to pursue peak performance with passion throughout life without taking ourselves too seriously. I'm Brad Kearns, New York Times bestselling author, former number three world-ranked professional triathlete, and Guinness World Record Masters athlete. I connect with experts in diet, fitness, and personal growth and deliver short breather shows where you get simple, actionable tips to improve your life right away. Let's explore beyond the hype, hacks, shortcuts, and sciency talk to laugh, have fun, and appreciate the journey. It's time to be rad. Hello, listeners. I'm pleased to welcome back to the show Mark Allen, the grip, the greatest triathlete of all time, and how wonderful it always is to reconnect with him and get some of his unique insights and his spiritual approach to the grueling endurance sports. It's kind of a weird balance, and I hit him with that at the very end of the show, like, wait a second, you're promoting this message to the most uptight group of people around when you're talking about highly motivated, driven, goal-oriented athletes, but he's doing a wonderful job. He's been retired for many years. He was a contemporary of mine on the triathlon circuit and has been coaching athletes ever since then. And so he's really uh, one of the most prominent coaches in the sport of triathlon today. He's had a nice career helping others with his unique approach. And we are going to have a wide-ranging conversation going back to his racing days, learning about things that he'd do differently, knowing what he knows now with all the advancements in technology and coaching and some of the stuff maybe not even helpful. And I asked him, you know, way back when, when we were just training hard in a low-tech approach, well, there was a lot of things that were good about that and a lot of things we have to navigate through today with all this high-tech quantified approach to athletic training. So he shares some things that he would have done differently to go faster these answers are going to surprise you and stay with you. It's wonderful, incredible advice. Um, he talks about the adjustments he had to make at the end of his career when he was getting older and uh, having a little child around and raising a family, kind of diversifying, and how those things helped him to remain at the top of the sport with adjustments due to lifestyle from his training. We talk a little bit about the state of the modern elite athletic performances, and he shares his excitement for how the quarantine especially helped people kind of refocus on their training and break through to the extent that now we have a whole bunch of people uh, battling each other at the very top of the sport. I'm wondering how they can go so fast these days and ask them a couple questions about the influence of doping in elite sports. And I think you're going to appreciate our commentary there. And as the conversation winds along, you'll get some of that spiritual side of Mark Allen that he's known for. He's been working with a Huichal Indian healer for many years named Brant Secunda. They put on retreats together, and he talks about some of his time that he spends uh, frequently with the primitive living Huichal Indians down in Mexico. So you're going to love this stuff. Even if you're not a triathlete, the insights apply to all peak performance goals that we have in life. And if you're into endurance sports and want to hear from the greatest, here we go with another in-person interview with Mark Allen. So if you want to watch on YouTube, it'll be fun. We were in the Power Project studios in Sacramento. Mark had a great show with the Power Project boys as well. 
So good content coming out from the grip. Still an endurance athlete doing lengthy back-to-back podcasts in a single day and then driving back to his home by the waves in Santa Cruz. I want to tell you about wildhealth.com. They're an online provider of comprehensive precision medicine and health consultation services. They offer DNA analysis, custom lab panels, extensive medical intake form with family history and lifestyle preferences, and regular online visits with a board-certified precision medicine physician and a health coach whom you can message anytime through their convenient app. Wild Health evaluates your data to determine what you need for nutrition, exercise, sleep, and supplements, and you can experiment, consult, and retest to get everything dialed in. You'll get a cutting-edge epigenetic test of DNA methylation to calculate your all-important biological age and have fun lowering your age over time instead of following the mainstream path to accelerated aging. It's time to strive for awesome instead of just normal. Did you realize that only 6.8% of Americans are deemed metabolically healthy and only 2% are declared optimal? That's disgraceful, but you can turn things around quickly. Please visit wildhealth.com and you will see that this is the absolute gold standard of personalized medicine and it's available to you right now. Telemedicine available anywhere in the USA. Wild Health is generously extending BRAD podcast listeners 20% off the cost of membership. Just visit wildhealth.com slash Brad or use the code BRAD20 at checkout to get 20% off and start taking control of your health today at wildhealth.com slash Brad. Grip, Mark Allen. Thanks. It's good to connect with you in person. I went to the shed, the world famous shed for shed talks. I think it was a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Thanks for coming to Sacramento. Please listen to or watch Mark Allen, Mark Allen on the Mark Bell's Power Project podcast. They just rocked it. And in the spirit of a true endurance athlete, you're going for podcast binge day. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, you know, how many times do I get to Sacramento? That's right. Yeah. There's a reason now. It's on the way to Truckee, where your son lives, which if we were recording, which we were, we'll learn about that. Amazing. Uh so I see you on social media and keep in touch and you're so enthusiastic about the sport of triathlon. It's so, it's so cool. It gets me excited about it too because I'm distant from it so long. Mm. My goals are in different areas now, but you're picking the winners of the next big pro race. So let's catch up with your, your role, your influence in the sport. I know you've been coaching for a long time. Some of your observations about how this, how this thing has progressed in the time that you, you hung it up. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I hung it up uh, basically into 1995. Um, it's a long time ago. And so, you know, I can't even do the math to figure out how many years that was. <clears throat> it was at least more than three or four. So, But interestingly, um, you know, I mean, every year in the sport, there's always exciting stuff that happens. Um, but then, you know, we had COVID, and there was sort of this gap of, a good, basically, kind of two years, uh, literally almost three years of uh, where there where there wasn't an Ironman World Championship, and uh, in 2022, you, you know, we last Ironman World Championship in 2019, Jan Frodeno crushed. Mm. Um, you know, just an amazing day in the men's race there, and um, and we had COVID in 2020, 2021. There was no Ironman World Championship. 
finally May of 2022, they held the Ironman World Championship for 2021. Kind of like the Olympics. Yeah. yeah. So the, you know, the Tokyo Olympics a year, a year later. And, and I, I was always like, what year are we in for this Olympics? You know, anyway. So, um, they held that in, in St. George, Utah. And mm-hmm. then later last year, they held the Ironman World Championship in Kona. And Good year to peak, <clears throat> I guess. You got yeah. two Ironman World Championships in one year. That was kind of like 1982, huh? Right. This is, there's a precedent here, people. Yeah, I mean, they have had two in one year, one other time. So anyway, the the interesting thing for me is that, you know, there were a lot of years where things are rolling along, and there's always something exciting about it. But somehow, having that gap allowed a lot of athletes to really just hone in on their training mm. without the expectation of racing, without um, trying to jam in a bunch of races that maybe weren't ideal for their for their fitness pro- progress and all of a sudden when we came back into racing there's like this whole slew of guys and gals that are just on fire and it just i swear it lit my fire as far as watching and and seeing these young guys and these young gals challenging the established stars you know Daniela Reef all of a sudden is She's beatable. Jan Frodeno all of a sudden is beatable, you know, and like Anna Haug, who won Kona right before um, COVID, you know, she came back and it didn't look like she was doing so great. But then all of a sudden this year, she's on fire, you know, and so <clears throat> there, it felt like all of a sudden there's this whole chance that things are really things are really evolving again you know and and athlete the young athletes are taking things to a new level and so it really it really sparked my excitement and enthusiasm and you know last year having the two days of of racing in Kona the women on Thursday the men on Saturday was it was a real that was also something that was kind of pivotal for the sport and in the terms of you know the the women got their own day out there where, mm. you know, the first person across the line, the first woman to cross the line was the first athlete across the mm. line. It wasn't like she was mixed in with 20 age group dudes who were trying to out sprint her, or trying to get their photo taken with her, you know, whatever. It's like, come on guys. And, um, because the men and women were not racing together, the coverage itself was unbelievable because the cameras could focus on all of the dynamics of things changing throughout the day. And we saw how complex the race is as it unfolds, you know, because they, normally they have to split the cameras between the mm. top men, top women. And so you, you miss a lot of the dynamics going on in the back of the race. And a lot of times, as we all know, the back of the race is where the, the winner is going to come from. Mm. It's not the person who's out in the front with the lead moto for nine tenths of the day. And then all of a sudden they blow up. Right. <laughs> And so it, it really just, it, it got me going, you know, as far as my enthusiasm for the sport. And, um, and then, you know, I, and I'm kind of rambling here, but there's, you know, the, there's like this whole string of stuff that happens. So, you know, all of a sudden we see this totally different way of, of portraying the Ironman World Championship for the two days of racing. But it was a huge demand on athletes, on staff, on, on the island residents mm-hmm. and you know, the decision was made that, yes, it's a good thing to have the women have their own day. It's it's not a good thing to have two Ironman days <clears throat> on the big island, 
in a small town with a small community trying to support it. Even with the influx of people coming in from all over the world, it's, it was just too much. Mm. And so this year we will have another historic uh, world championship. The men will be racing in September in Nice. The women will be racing in October in Kona. And then, wow. and then next year it's going to... It's going to flip-flop, and they'll do that for at least these next four years with between Nice and Kona. And, um, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, you know, I, I've trained my whole life to go to Kona, and, and now I'm going to try to qualify for Nice, and I can just go do Ironman Nice. And, like, people, you just don't get it. Like, Nice is iconic. Mm. You know, I raced there 10 years. Ten different years I did the Nice International Triathlon. Ten Not different wins. Ten different wins. Ten out of ten. Perfect ten. I was like, how did I do that? Dang. Anyway. A lot, a lot of good luck and uh, a lot of fitness. A lot of good luck for sure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's it's so different from Kona, obviously. You know, you don't have the... It can be hot, but it's a different kind of heat. You don't have the wind, even though there, there can be this steady headwind on a lot of the course. But it's... It's Europe. It's the Côte d'Azur. It's the southern France. You swim in the Mediterranean. There's this. There's climbs. There's. It's mountainous, you know. And the run is on the Promenade des Anglais, which is this. It. It's like, you know, not. It's not like, but it. It's, it's on par with any major, like you know, Fifth Avenue or you know, you name it. You name the, the street in a big city. That's Promenade des Anglais. You know, with these historic buildings in the background and. You know the, the 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 Mediterranean on on the other side, and um and, and the other thing uh, you know a lot of people are like oh you know I can just go do Ironman France why should, why why would I want to pay more money to go to the Ironman World Championship well the World Championship that the Ironman puts on is like on a whole other level from their normal races and their normal races are amazing as we all know you know anybody who's done Ironman knows that. They're pretty, they're, they're world-class races, but the world championship event is on a whole other level as far as not only the experience, but you're racing against mm. people from all over the world who have qualified. And so the competition is like nothing that you're ever going to see in any other Ironman. So it's, anyway, I know there's people who are probably going to go, oh, dude, you just, you just like Ironman too much. Well, I do, you know, but I think, you know, once we, once we see uh, the Nice World Championship, Ironman World Championship in Nice in September, and then we complete the women's race in October in Kona, people are going to step away and kind of go, hmm, okay, that, that was pretty darn cool. So, you know, I'm excited about that change in the sport. Mm -hmm. um, I know that there's people that don't agree with me on that. Um, but the sport is, it's also had its share of some other stuff that's taken place. Like um, about a month ago, Colin Chartier, American triathlete, mm. who won the PTO Dallas Open, U.S. Open last year, amazing race, won that. He won Ironman Montant Blanc about a month before that. Um, and then all of a sudden, he tests positive for EPO. So it was an unbelievable performance. <laughs> unbelievable two performances, breakthrough performances, and then all of a sudden in February he tested positive for EPO out of competition testing. 
Um, he, and he said, yes, I took it. I started in November, you know, in my off season because my off season was, um, not going I well. Love these, I love these caveat <laughs> confessions. It's yeah, so I, funny. We can have the, the third mic could be a, a psychologist saying, why don't you just, st-? I mean, and I love his virtue signaling where he said, I'm not going to offer some bullshit excuse like a tainted burrito. And if you're familiar with the Shelby Houlihan story, it's a tragic story of where she tested positive for Nandrolone and they forced you to come up with a reason and an excuse. And she guessed maybe it was this burrito and she got teased and ridiculed about it. It was a bad legal strategy, but she didn't know how it got into her body. She said that. And so they mounted a defense as they were compelled to. But it's like, I, I feel like I believe her and I feel like she got, you know, railroaded by this extremely precise testing protocol. And then this guy mentions her as like, you know, tossing her to the garbage can where you fucking cheated in what by and large appears to be a clean sport. And the reason I say that now is like the the anger and the backlash from Jan Frodeno and these guys making posts. Jan Frodeno riding the bike up the hill with his dad and saying, mm-hmm. I compete in sports to challenge the honor and personal growth and improvement. It's like if everybody was dirty and cheating they'd be pretty quiet like they were in the Peloton when some guy got picked out and tested positive and everyone's like, oh, that's too bad. Floyd Landis, you know, no one came to his defense. You know, no one was like, you know, screaming about it. I'm going to ask you, though, put you on the spot. Like, is this an isolated case or what is your perception of, you know, these performances are extraordinary by any definition what these what mm-hmm. these top athletes can do. And we know what a extreme advantage performance enhancing drugs especially epo can do for endurance athletes yeah you know uh, it's it's a it's a slippery slope to assume that any great breakthrough performance is because they took somebody took a drug you know like in 1989 dave scott broke his in our our classic battle together his he broke his his personal best his pre the previous world's record by almost 18 minutes I did my best performance to that date by nearly 30. If, if that had taken place today. In social media era. In social media yeah. era, people would have been just all over it saying, what did these guys take? You know? But, so it's, it's and, and I, you know, 1,000, I don't have a skeleton in my closet, you know, fortunately. And, and I, that's a whole other story of what I had to do to, to, make sure that my body was healthy mm. you know the attention that i to uh everything that would positively benefit my fitness growth my overall health my balance was not easy you know i i sacrificed going to races that i could mm-hmm. have raced at to make money make money that would have cost me health benefits mm. i gave up training that probably could have gotten me faster in the short run that would have injured me in the long run would have cost me health health benefits. Mm. There are a lot of things that, you know, I took time away from the sport to recover at the end of the season. You know, nowadays you look at, like last year, literally last year after Kona, like two to three weeks later, almost every pro was posting how they're back at it in training. I'm like, wow, that's not recovery. You know, my my recovery season started in October after Kona and it went until January. Mm -hmm. So I had a good two, two and a half months where there was nothing structured or going into a fitness basket. And so there was a lot that I did to be able to make that kind of improvement that was was friggin' hard work and very meticulous and tedious and slow mm-hmm. that people nowadays are not doing. So anyway, mm. are 
is it a is it a, is it rampant like you know we've seen it appears to have been in cycling or maybe in running in certain mm-hmm. parts of the world or whatever? I don't think so. And I like I said, it's a very slippery slope to look at any breakthrough performance and go, oh, well, that's because he took drugs. There's mm-hmm. something he's taken he didn't get te- that he, he he he's smarter than the system. Mm. Um, the other side, though, you got, and this is, I think, why the thing with Colin got so much media coverage is that he was training with Lionel Sanders. Mm. He <laughs> he was training in Girona, where Jan Frodeno trains, and so many other athletes train. And you know, he was in and around so many other people. And so, you know, it begs the question: Well. Did these guys not know? You know, did his coach not know? A, num- a numbers guy? Did he not see anything that indicated that? <laughs> just, just getting fitter, <laughs> as always. Wow, my training's really working. Recovered really. again. Yeah, you know. So. What time are we going tomorrow? 6 a.m.? Okay, I'll be there. Yeah. yeah. And so um, I think part of it, that that's why there was a, a big outcry from some of the athletes who truly probably are clean. Mm. Like, Really? Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, well, Lionel Sanders, bro. Like this guy stayed in my freaking bathroom. Was it, so? Was he breaking the law on my premises? Like it was. It was heavy, and that also could be manufactured if you're a real skeptic, where you know you sound really good if you get super angry. But it was interesting, and I've I've been interested in you know looking back into the the, the cycling years where I, I truly believe that Lance Armstrong was clean because he was so much better and more focused and trained harder than all the other athletes. So I'm the biggest idiot out there. Mm. I thought Liver King was clean because he lived this super regimented lifestyle with the most perfect diet and extreme training regimen. But of course, how do you get there? If you get some assistance, you can certainly come back and you know recover fast and mm. put in those hard workouts. So it's it's rough to see this littered into major yeah. modern sport and. Um, like Tyler Hamilton's book described how easy it is to beat the testing. Mm. So, you know, these athletes that come out and say, well, I've been tested 17 times in the last two years and I passed every test. So how dare you accuse me? It's like, well, um, on page 178, Tyler talks about <laughs> microdosing where you pinch your skin and, um, you know, yeah. uh, you go in every night and then uh, you know yeah. that you better hide for 12 hours and all that kind of stuff yeah. was pretty heavy. You know, when I, when I raced, uh, I, I had something that, I divided my year into two two basic seasons, and you know I'm actually doing a thing right now, and I'm I'm trying to label it so that people are become more aware of it. And I call it the second season, mm. and uh, you know I'm going to ask you actually if you kind of follow this too, but you know I would spend the winter and I would really build up for some key races that happened in May and early June, mm-hmm. you know, and so I had a, a big chunk of fitness that took place that, that I got then, and then after that first really big part of the season and everything sort of started to shift toward summer racing and then uh, clearly Kona looming, you know, for months out there. And I, I learned right away that, you know, as you, if you're somebody who can start training like in January, February, by May, June, you are really, you're in really good shape. And if you continue to do the same exact training that got you in that shape. By the time you get to October, you're going to be fried. Mm-hmm. And so the second season, <clears throat> something that I'm really focused on right now because we're in that June window, is how do you take that fitness and then continue to build it without burning yourself out? You know, and some people they just want to they just want to keep going 
the same trajectory mm-hmm. with the same training all the way through. But once you get in really good shape, you're not going to be able to get in the same quantum leap shape by the end of the year. You're going to only make an incremental shift. But to make that in- incremental shift, you're still going to have to be consistent with your training, but uh, it, it, you're, you're that much closer to being overtrained also. Mm-hmm. And so recovery is super important, making sure that you're, you're, you're pushing yourself into that overreach zone, but really making sure that you don't go too far into it because otherwise all of a sudden you really are in a depleted state. So, I mean, did you have like a second season or were you just like powering all the way through? Mark doesn't realize how much of a setup this was. You're, you're so funny. You're like the, the stand-up comic on the site. <laughs> and I indeed had this second season content and it was completely inadvertent. And that's why you were the smartest triathlete as well as, you know, the fittest and most successful. But we could all see how you work the rhythm much better. And I think that point about the economic drive of like, hey, I, you know, I can go to this race and make a few thousand dollars. And that's important to me as a young athlete who's trying mm-hmm. to make ends meet. And so I'd make decisions based on economics rather than, you know, the big picture. And so if I look at my triathlon historical results i had all these great successes like in april and may and then in june and july i would fly to chicago and drop out because i was exhausted and it was hot and sticky and everything had caught up to me Mm. from this great training uh, pack and so you know inadvertently i had these horrible troughs during the season and then you know i was undefeated in israel in december the last race of the year i kicked mike pig's ass when he was triathlete of the year and it's because i had so much rest and then I'd have a little bit of freshness left over from bombing out. And then I'd, you know, have some good weeks of training. And now reflecting back and for the people listening that are striving for those goals, there's so much competitive intensity and drive and focus and desire to like you made. If you're watching on video, Mark made his hand go up and up and up through the sky. And it's like we all want to do that. We want to continue to excel, but it's almost impossible and so then you got to sit back and go, okay, where am I going to get some breathing room? Mm. Just describe what overreaching means too. Well, overreaching is, are, is doing workouts where you're you're going just a little bit beyond where your fitness is. Mm. So let's say, you know, let's say it's the beginning of, of the year. Like not everybody starts training in January. A lot of people are actually just starting now because it's actually summertime, right? And so maybe you haven't been doing much and you go out for your first sort of long run. And maybe that long run, you know, you, you make it 40 minutes and you're, you're toast. <laughs> okay? So that's that's your upper limit of your endurance fitness running, let's say. And then the following week, maybe you go 45 minutes or 47 or 50. So you've, you've overreached where your sort of fitness limit is. And so you, you go beyond that point and, and you'll know where that, that, that point is because all of a sudden – you'll start to feel it gets a little harder to hold your form together, mm. you know, and maybe you start to slow down and your heart rate starts to go up even though you're slowing down. And that's your overreach point. That's where you're pushing into that, that zone where you're not quite that fit yet. And as you do that, and then when you recover from it, then you put, you rebuild, replenish, you rejuvenate, and then it, it, your fitness actually starts to go up to that 47 minute or 50 mm. minute. And then a week or two later, then you go 55 minutes or an hour. And that's how you, how you sort of overreach in the same with that. So that's like an endurance aspect. And the same with speed. You know, you, you set out, you're going to do eight quarters on the track or something, mm. let's say. And you, you, you think you're holding a pace that you can hold the entire way. And then you get to number seven and all of a sudden, 
your form falls apart and you've got to back down the speed and you've got to increase the recovery in between that one and the last one. That's your overreach point. Mm. And then, you know, you recover from it. You, you take a nap, you take it easy the next day or two, you know, and you come back maybe a week later, two weeks later, do the same workout. And all of a sudden you get to, you get to number eight and you've done all of them at the pace you want. And maybe you even got faster as you went through them. Then the following time, then you can go mm. to another level of overreach. So mm. it's going beyond sort of your fitness point where, and like I said, you can notice it because things start to fall apart. They start to get tight because you're trying to hold it together. Okay, that's my overreach point for this point in time. And then you'll see that that changes as your fitness builds. Were you ever fooled by the, uh, the, the, the cortisol cocktail of pushing your body really hard and then the body responding with fight or flight? Like this happened to be a lot where I felt fantastic for an amazing six-week binge of training. And I wake up the next day, I'm recovered, I'm not sore, I feel great. I go and do another great workout. And then at some point I fall off a cliff. I don't know if that uh, you can relate to that. Yeah, you know, I I actually just wrote a blog about that, and it's about um, I call it the the unseen injury, and it's, mm, it's I read it. Yeah, yeah, it's fatigue. And mm-hmm. it's, <laughs> the unseen injury. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's not a it's not a specific pain point like a, a knee that hurts or a shoulder that mm. that you know hurts when you're swimming. It's not a, a lower back that gets tight when you're cycling. It's like this sense of like, oh, man, I'm, I'm a, it's, it's getting a little bit harder to get up for the workouts or maybe you get up for the workouts, but then you notice the next day you're, you're, you're really like overly wasted from it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that there's this fatigue that it's like a, a slow drawdown on your internal battery, on your recharge, on your, on your adrenal system that takes place when you're doing a lot of that overreaching, you know, you're going to those new levels and you're going and you're going and you're going new level, new level, new level, new level. And it's super exciting. And, um, you feel like, Whoa, you know, I am on top of it, mm-hmm. <laughs> dude. Like I'm going to crush mm-hmm. cause I'm going to keep going like this forever. Well, if you're not recovering, meaning, uh, and, and like you said, you don't feel sore because you are fit, right? And you're not, you're not sore. Like there's, there could be cause you're inflamed because of the hormone imbalance of being in chronic fight or flight. Yeah. And you should be sore, mofo, but you're not. Yeah. Because you're on a cloud. And then, yeah. Ev- yeah and then eventually you, you hit the superhero to zero, is what I call it. <laughs> and like, can we trademark that phrase, yeah, please? Okay. From superhero to zero. You, one day you'll have this like complete, you're, you feel invincible workout and then for the next two or three days you really you just feel like you got ran over by a truck and then that's that's kind of at the far end of that invisible injury mm-hmm. of fatigue where your your adrenal system is trying to it's trying to somehow keep you going and yeah one day it super pushes you and mm-hmm. then there's nothing left in the tank and that's that's when your recovery isn't going to be just like an easy day or two days it might be three or four weeks or like mm-hmm. you were talking about you know you you were on fire through April or May, and then you're like on the couch for a month or two, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, everything's been recharged. And so that that second season, it's it's um, it's easy to get to that point because you are super fit and you can keep pushing. And you know, our mind has a way of working of of ignoring those little fatigue symbols. Mm-hmm. And so, two of the big signs for me that 
there's really a, a fatigue thing going on or an overtrained situation going on where you, you really need to back off. Number one, arrogant trash talking. And two, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, you Move muffle. disturbances. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Continued self-aggrandizement to the extreme. Okay, number one. Excuse me. Number one. Yeah, your your partner says they're going to leave you if you keep going like this. <laughs> um, so somebody said, if your if your relationship isn't in trouble, you're not training hard enough. I'm like, oh my god, that is such a triathlete mentality. <laughs> triathlete quote for the wall. Yeah. yeah, the whiteboard. So you know, one of them is. Uh, you're finding that the first thing that goes is you're swimming. Oh, you're, you're, really? You start to slow down in the pool. And the one of the reasons for that is that swimming takes the most fine motor control of any oh. of the sports. And your fine motor control coordination starts to go with fatigue first. Mm. You can override. The big muscles can carry on beyond mm. that. Second thing that happens is uh, you're like you're on the bike and you have a hard time getting your heart rate up even though you feel like mm. you're pushing really hard. Like you can't you can't get your heart rate up there, which mm. is like, whoa, and your your watts aren't that high. It's not like you're super fit and your heart rate's low. Mm. Your mm. your heart rate's low and heart's your heart's tired. Your heart's tired, your heart rate's low, and your watts are low. But you mm. feel like oh, I am pushing, I can't get up there. Mm -hmm. Third sign is you go out for a run and even even as nice, easy start of the run, you're completely full of lactate. Mm. And it's like, mm. okay, I listened to the podcast, so what am I going to do with this? <laughs> you got to recover. Plug. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, on that note, Joel Jameson, HRV expert, blew my mind with this one. You know, another symptom of extreme overtraining is or extreme overreaching is abnormally high HRV, which, for those of you familiar with HRV, a higher score means you're recovered, your cardiovascular system is fit. But if it's too high, that indicates parasympathetic dominance because your sympathetic system is suppressed because you're so exhausted. We want parasympathetic sympathetic balance. And so all those celebrating their super high HRV score, they just had a breakthrough. Um, it could mean that you've just trashed yourself so much that now you're in ultra rest mode and it necessitates rest rather than my own app says, you're okay to train today because you're in the normal range or you're above the normal range. So I think sensibility is um, a big a big factor here to, to make the right decisions. I wonder if, you know, now, knowing what you know and having all this database of people that you've coached successfully and people have struggled and then turned it around and all that, would you do something different with your career? Do you think you could go faster if you're rewinding the clock with all your knowledge base to to your prime time? Yeah, I think I could I could go a little bit faster. Um, <laughs> I'm not talking about, I asked Dave Scott, why are these guys breaking aid in Hawaii? We're going to ask you the same thing, and we'll, we'll put out his, some of his <laughs> reasons were they got rid of the cattle guards, they paved the, the, the Queen K Highway so much better now, the bikes are better, the springy shoes are three to four minutes better in a marathon, and so you start adding that up, because I do want to propose this question, like, you guys trained hard and were pretty good and were at the top of your game mm. and destroyed the records that many people have trained so hard to try to beat when you did the 809, 810 mm -hmm, mm -hmm. time. So how are we seeing uh, 740 with a dozen guys between 740 and 8 if we're going to propose that there's not a lot of abuse of performance-enhancing drugs? Yeah, I mean, nowadays, you know, the, you look at any semi-even 
semi-decent field in a, in a men's race in an Ironman, and the top five, if not top ten, are all under eight hours. <laughs> you know, eight hours what was the mythic barrier when I was when I was competing, and uh, I think they first did that at Challenge Roth, and then finally they oh, yeah. finally they actually well it was Ironman Germany at the time, uh-huh. but and then uh, and then finally they did it in Kona, and now you know last year Gustav Eden going whatever it was seven forty or something and. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so you're asking yourself, how, how is that possible? What would I, if I was using their, if I had the technology of today, what would I do differently? You know, one thing that would, one thing that would have helped me would have been having a power meter. Mm. You know, it just would, it would give you that nice way of sort of, just sort of fine tuning your cycling efficiency. So, like, if you can get a few more watts by maybe, Moving, moving in a slightly different space on your seat, or noticing that your upper body is a little tight and you relax it, and all of a sudden your heart rate's the same, but your watts goes up mm. by five watts. You know, those are those are cool little feedback things. It wouldn't have, it wouldn't have allowed me to go under four hours, you know, mm-hmm. on the same equipment, but it would have been an improvement. Would you want to put out the exact same power, the whole race? Is that is that the ideal Ironman cycling event? Putting yeah. out the same power. Yeah, like, would you want to go 312 watts the entire time, uphill, flat, uh, to, to disperse energy correctly? Or how do they do that? I would have I would have measured my watts against heart rate. Right. So maybe I had a, a goal of pushing 280 watts for the Ironman, right? But pushing 280 watts at the beginning of the, the bike ride, my heart rate might have been 140 and then it goes up to 150, and then to hold 280 watts by the end, I'm, uh, I'm at 165. No. no. You, no. Want to, you, want to, you want to solve for heart rate. I, I would have wanted to solve yeah. for heart rate because, um, you know, that, that's an indication of how the stress overall is adding up in your body. You know, and so when you're in the heat, you're getting dehydrated. If your heart rate starts to really go up, there's stuff going on in, in there physiologically, mm. even if your perceived effort has not changed that much. And so mm. that was... That was actually something that I was very attuned to when I was competing. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I, I look at the shoes and, you know, I, somebody sent me a pair of the super shoes about a year ago and I put them on. I'm like, oh, my gosh, game changer. This would have been, like, so much faster. Crazy. that lady yeah. in the stroller now. Yeah. But, anyway, I was curious because, you know, now I've been watching um, some of Mark Sisson's stuff with his new shoes and just, like... Yeah, so you know that's a that's a pretty cool concept. I hope he does well with that. It's an interesting, um, you know, he's always been so much into like how how can we work with what the body's mm. meant to be? How do we keep its homeostasis and and health in a real natural way? Because our our modern world is not a natural environment. Mm. And you you you've done a lot of work with Mark, so. Yeah, it's a, it's a daily battle. I mean, that's what the obsession with the ancestral health movement is, is try to recapture some of these practices that we know are so beneficial, but then we have all these constraints in modern life. And I think sometimes we even take it to the extreme where, you know, we're saying, you know, our ancestors, they never ate fruit all winter. And I had this sticky note on my door. It said, you know, don't eat fruit in the winter because it's against the ancestral example. But it's like, 
what freaking winter are we talking about now? Because I, I got a Southwest Airlines special to Hawaii, $80 <laughs> one way, and we went to Hawaii three times last winter. So I'm on the beach in the hot sun sweating. There's no winter, and I'm going to go to the farmer's market and get some fruit. <laughs> so um, it's nice to kind of honor the example of our ancestors, but then we have to adapt to modern life. And like training for a long-distance triathlon is decidedly against our genetic expectations for health. Mm-hmm. So I guess up, up comes another question. I know we have a few left to answer, but um, can you do this sport such that it's designed now in a manner that's not destructive to your health straight up? I, I think you can, uh, but it requires, like I said, it, it all goes back to recovery. You know, going really slow instead of trying to break eight hours. Yeah. Yeah, or, or if, if that's your goal and you do break eight hours, you, you really have to recover from mm-hmm. it. And, um you know, but the thing that has taken place in my mind is that um, Ironman, the distance of an Ironman has become a little bit more normalized. Mm. Like so many people have done Ironmans now. Like, oh, yeah, I know 200 people who have done an Ironman. And mm. It's like, oh, yeah, they did one here and then, then doing another one there and they've done 18. And, you know, mm. when I was when I was competing, you know, we we were, uh, I, I would say, intimidated by the distance. Mm-hmm. And we had a healthy respect for the recovery it took. Mm. to truly recover from it and and there were there were those who didn't and they burned out quickly mm. you know those of us who actually really had that healthy respect for what the true recovery was and when i'm talking about true recovery i'm talking about you know our like i said our adrenal system is sort of like that internal battery that gets drained down when we're doing our over distance training or high intensity training you know you're 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 drawing down the energy that's in that reserve uh, inside your body. And when you actually do the Ironman race, you really draw down on it. And putting the energy back into that adrenal system in your body, it's sort of like replenishing the water tables under, underground. Oh, they, it you, takes you, a while. You suck them dry, one rainstorm doesn't <laughs> fill them up. It takes right. a long time for everything to seep in and to fill them back right. up. And it's the same with that adrenal system. So, you know, two or three weeks after Ironman, yeah, you're not sore. You feel normal when you're sitting around. Mm. But then, if you really go out and, and try to train hard, if you're if you're if you're tuning in, you realize, ooh, yeah, I am actually still there's still something mm-hmm. that's not quite back in there. But it's not at first. It's not dramatic, and so you try to ignore it. And mm. that's I think the the pattern that's happened with a lot of the athletes nowadays. And you know exactly kind of to your example when i was talking about the second season of how your second season often kicked off with being completely exhausted Mm -hmm. that's what's happening to a lot of the top pros now they're getting their they're getting their off season because they get injured (laughs) they're not ill or whatever yeah yeah they're not like lucy charles was injured for quite a while jan Ferdano has you know he he completed his first official iron man last weekend since 2019 Mm. You know, it's been four years. I mean, he did Battle Royale, tried Battle Royale with Lionel Sanders 2021, but that was a very different kind of low stress. In a certain, anyway, so he's had a number of injuries over, mm-hmm. you know, over his career. So clearly he's not also not getting quite as much recovery as getting old sucks, Jan. Yeah. Come on now. Was he 40 he, or something? Yeah, I think he's like 41. So amazing to keep going like that. But I, I wouldn't, yeah. I don't know where he's getting the desire. That's the, yeah. 
But anyway, maybe the the financial incentives are there, just like a aging major sports star that you know can take it or leave it. Except for the seventeen million dollars on the table, then he'll take it. Maybe or Keep or dribbling. or maybe it's like I said, maybe the distance has been a little bit normalized, and so it doesn't sound mm. like as big of a deal to come do another Ironman as as it, <laughs> as it did when you know you and I were competing back in the dark ages. So it seems to me during your career that you nailed some of these objectives about stress-rest balance. You raced like 10 times a year and other people did 15 or 20 or 27 like Mike Pig or whatever. So how what what changes would you make to go faster from you know your your education over the decades? <laughs> One thing I would have done is, is cut out um, some of the training that I did in my early years that was purely uh, to sort of boost my self-confidence that had nothing to do with actually getting more, me more fit. Like, wow. Like, you know. Like being a grip of death on a bike ride. Yeah, not as, not as often as I would. Yeah. But, you know, like some of the key sessions I, I, had to, I would have to do regardless because that was truly what was, what was required to get to that level that would be hopefully at the top of the podium. Yeah. You know, you don't get there by going easy. You, <laughs> you don't get there by never overreaching. You have to mm. do that at certain points. But there was also a lot of training that I did that I, I was just doing because either everybody else is doing it, so mm. I thought, oh, let me just go with them, or, mm. or it, was, it was just workouts to sort of say, oh, yeah, I can run that fast or that long or that far, do this hill repeat or whatever it is. And I, and I really didn't, start to get that until the final year that I competed in 1995 wow. because I was I was 37 years old my son Nats had been born you know almost 2 years earlier and because of those two constraints having a child and being older I was forced to cut back cuz I I could see that it, when I went into that final year of of Ironman racing Right away, I tried to do the stuff that I was had done for the past ten years or whatever, and I was like, okay, this is not working. This is way wow. too much. I can't handle it. Mm. And so I cut out all of the the, the fluff, fluff, the ego workouts. Yeah, you yeah. know. And um, so I I would have cut those out way earlier, mm. on, much earlier on. You reminded me of a Phil Maffetone quote, where he explains, "You don't really need to train the brain to suffer." The brain knows. It doesn't need to be trained. If I come put a gun to your head right now, we're going to run 57 miles back to Santa Cruz, we'll, we'll both, we'll make it because there's a gun to our head. So the brain doesn't need the training. The anaerobic muscle fibers don't need much training because they're explosive by nature. So they need minimal training. And so that was the argument to just emphasize aerobic development, which you were the, you know, the, the trendsetter and the leader mm -hmm. there. And you helped shape my career in the right direction, as did Dr. Phil. Um, but it was it was a blow away insight because you're like yeah what what is all this suffering day in day out because we want to get tough and resilient enough for the race no when the race comes and you you know put your toe in the water you're going to be in that heightened peak performance state mm -hmm. where you're ready to suffer even if you've you know kind of had a gentle being good to your body through training and of course you can't win by going easy but i felt like when it's time to go hard and you're feeling great and it's time to go hard it's a great experience. You feel great. You're not, it's not like, when's this workout going to be over? It's like, I'm kicking ass today because I waited this whole week to, mm. to throw down once on, you know, on the weekend. So 
you saying that, I, I could, you could have, could have just called me up and say, Mark, you're really good. You don't have to do all those extra <laughs> workouts. Have fun with your son. Take him to the park. Swing, yeah. swing. Yeah. Let me show you some of your times. But that's interesting that um, you ha- that took a long time to get that reflection if you're saying it's at the end of your career. Yeah, and, you know, and I, I didn't think I was doing any of my workouts for the wrong reason. Or I, I thought every workout was adding. Right, adding, of course. Yeah, you but, just... You know, once it, once the light bulb goes on and you're like, ooh, okay, I guess I really don't need this one. And it's like, huh. Geez, That's right. so funny. I'm, I'm now thinking of when Andrew McNaughton and I went up here and drove up from L.A. to, mm-hmm. to this area to interview Dave Scott. And he's explaining some of his training philosophy where, you know, you can cut out those, those long, slow workouts and everything needs to be in a chosen heart rate. And I'm like, you know, why, why, why is that, Dave? Why don't you go longer than the bike course to, to build your over distance? And he goes, oh, I, I got bored doing that stuff. And then on the five-hour drive home with Andrew, I'm like, he might be bored, but I just want to be good. So if you tell me like to go at an easy <laughs> heart rate and go for seven hours, and that's going to help me. So yeah. I kind of rejected some of that. But like his training philosophy was driven by boredom, which is awesome because if you're bored, you're bored. And uh-huh. he knew what what worked for him was an 88-mile bike ride at time trial pace rather than going 140 and coming at the direction differently. Hey, I want to tell you about Schwank Grills. This is a revolutionary portable gas infrared grill that uses the exact same heating technology as the world's best steakhouses. You heat up to 1500 degrees Fahrenheit to grill the juiciest steak you've ever tasted in as little as three minutes. Can you believe it? That's right. You do not have to go to those crowded, noisy, super overpriced steakhouses anymore when you have the same technology in your backyard. And the Schwank portable infrared grill is not just for steak. You can make chicken wings, wings, hamburgers, seafood, lobster, vegetables. I make salmon in three minutes. They even have a pizza stone accessory. I want you to visit their very informative and mouth-watering website at schwankgrills.com. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-K. Everything you cook, faster, juicier. The speed is so important, so convenient. Uh, There's a drip tray on the bottom, so you let the juices drip down. I love the bison burger, the venison burgers. That's my game. And then you can add a mixture of butter, spices, whatever you want, into the tray. Pour it back onto your meat or your salmon for a huge improvement in flavor. Are you getting hungry? I am. <laughs> Let's go to schwankgrills.com, S-C-H-W-A-N-K, grills.com, and up your home cooking game. This is a one-of-a-kind grill. I have a great discount code for you, of course. It's BRAD150 to save $150 off your purchase of a Schwank grill. Well, I, I guess there is where some of our philosophy diverged. You know, like, for me... Um, for me, training is not entertainment, you know, and, and I, and I try to emphasize that with my athletes, especially the ones that, the ones that are really trying to optimize their, their performance and fitness. It's like, I'm not coaching you for entertainment. I'm coaching you to get better. And part of getting better is, is doing a certain amount of repetition of the same kinds of workouts over and over and over and over. And secondly, as you do that, it will train your mind to um, be used to staying on task when it is boring, when it's not entertaining. And when you're in a race, then when you are in a race, 
you're going to be so excited because racing is exciting. Mm. But if you have done all your training with excitement and tons of music and switching everything up and, <laughs> and occupying your mind with all these complicated workouts, you're mm. going to get in a race and you're going to feel like something's missing because mm. you can't use your music. You're, you're, not, you're not having this structured mixing up of different zones and all this kind of stuff. Mm. So you're not going to have anything to watch other than like a heart rate or a mm. wattage or a pace. And so, you know, a lot of a lot of training for me was actually training my mind to deal with boredom. Mm. And so, my my ultimate boredom workout that <laughs> actually Ken Souza came up with it was in Colorado, and it was we did this for the first time a couple times in 1989, where we would start in Boulder and we would ride 70 miles due east away from the Colorado Rockies through the the flat the rolling cornfields of eastern Colorado to a little town called Wiggins. And there was a small gas station where we would turn around at 75 miles and we would ride back. And as you're riding back, you're so far east that you, at first you can't even see the Rockies. Wow. And, you know, that's a scary proposition when you're like the only two dudes in Lycra out there in the middle of a cornfield, right? So anyway, but it was, there was so much of that that was teaching us to, to just stay on task hour after hour after hour mentally. And, you know, your, your body needs a certain amount of training for that. But again, also, that, that's where, like some people say, well, if you train at super high intensity for low periods, you'll get the same mitochondrial changes in your cells and all this kind of stuff, which might be true, but it's not training your mind to deal with mm. yourself for hour after hour after hour. And that's such a key element. I'm also thinking of my penchant for setting PRs and workouts, and I would get so psyched in the pool if I could come in at a better interval or, you know, make it up to the top of the trail in a faster time. And so that's the, you know, that's the opposite of having the patience to, to be okay being bored and not going for PRs. And I wonder if it's like, you know, personality insight. They talk about your neurotyping <laughs> where certain athletes need variety and mm -hmm. um, some of them thrive on consistency. And maybe in that example, of you, you, you and Dave, you know, people have known that your approach is different in terms of the training. And then here you are side by side for 140 of the 140.6 miles. Mm -hmm. So both guys figured out what worked best for them. Mm -hmm. There's probably a lot of value in that. But I think if you, if you kind of overdo it, let's say overdo it on the side of volume where there's a real, you know, workhorse out there that just likes to go all day. Or overdo it on, on my, in my case, I think I was jumpy and distractible. And so mm -hmm. I wanted to go try a new route and set a new best time on this route mm -hmm. rather than just go to Wiggins back and forth <laughs> every week. You know, there's, there's, some, there's some nuance there that's really important to figure out, I think. Yeah, Strava would have killed you. <laughs> you'd always be trying to set PRs on this route or that route or that climb. Or yeah. whatever, it would have been your Luckily, downfall. It was all before that age. So you mentioned... Um, some of these modern athletes getting into their holes and getting sick and missing races. And so um, have we progressed in 30, 40 years uh, of figuring this stuff out? Or are we still bumping our head up against the wall in terms of the type A endurance community? And maybe even that filters over into the CrossFit community and these places where the reports of overuse injuries and burnout are common. Mm. Um, it seems like the performances have taken a jump, but maybe not so much of a jump as we think. And is there another horizon where mm -hmm. um, we can see people 
thriving and having, you know, seven great races a year and wonderful training cycles mm -hmm. and two seasons with a distinct uh, family <laughs> vacation in the middle where we're going camping and then back at it, you know? Yeah, it, um, yeah I mean, some things have progressed. Like the technology of the sport obviously has progressed. You know, I had a heart rate monitor and a, and a, and a, and a speedometer on my bike and a stopwatch that I'd use on the track, and that was it. Obviously, now there's things that can track just about everything. So mm -hmm. that has progress has progressed, but has it has it helped? Ha has it fundamentally changed much? I don't I don't think so. Um, like I said, you know, if if uh, the if the aspect of recovery had progressed as much as the aspects of training have, mm -hmm. I think I think we'd see even more amazing results. You know, and so. Like, just an example of why I, I don't know if all of these devices have actually changed much is I, I was watching a podcast that was about um, Gustav Eden and Christian Blumenfeld's coach talking about mm. their training and what they were doing and what they were measuring. And, and, you know, it was very scientific and they've got all this stuff that's measuring like their, you know, their 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 body temperatures during training the, the body temp well during listen sleep during training well no i mean it's, this is kind of interesting like they were measuring body temperature during training to see where the point was where if the body temperature goes up above it then they can't sustain their effort they were wow. looking at the amount of calories they need to take in so that they can keep absorbing calories without it being too much or not enough right. they, they were looking at um you know the, the pace that they can hold for long periods of time before it's it's actually too fast and they and they have to drop it down. I mean, and and so ultimately, I'm going. This is the exact same stuff that we were we were trying to optimize. Mm. We were trying to figure out how many calories. What do mm. we need to take in? How fast can we go when it's hot? Mm. And the only difference is that so much of that the integration of all that knowledge was done over time by sensing it in our bodies, whereas. Uh, you know, Olaf and uh, you know his 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 athletes there, they're able they're able to gather all that knowledge in like one year or two years, <laughs> and so right. it, it so it looks like these guys just went, mm. which they did, uh, and a lot of it is because they use that technology, but it's not like they're looking at anything different than we mm. did. It just took a few more years for us to gather that knowledge in. It, it, in the core of our cells so that we understood it and so that we could sense like, okay, my body's getting a little too hot here. Mm. I'm a little dehydrated or this is too fast. I need to slow down, you know? And so like in Kona, um, you know, there's the energy lab, right? And the energy lab is when we did it, it was basically it a mile down, a mile along the coast, a mile back, and then a, not quite a mile back out of the lab on an upgrade. And on that last upgrade, and when you come out of there, you've got about a 10K to go to the finish. So you're, the reason his tone of voice changed a little there is like you're heading back to town after this long run on the lava fields, and you have to make a detour, basically, yeah, a brutal detour. Yeah, you, you had this little four-mile, basically four-mile detour. It's slightly different now, but basically four miles. And so when you're running out of the energy lab, it's this long, gradual upgrade to get back to the Queen Kahu Minor Highway, right? And the 
the prevailing wind is always blowing in the same direction that you're running, and it's basically blowing at the same speed that you're running. So as you're running up this upgrade, upgrades naturally raise your body temperature. Mm. There's no convection because of the wind, because the wind, they, it, basically it's, you're running in still air. And so your body temperature starts to rise, and it rises, and it rises. And on that hill... I went as hard as I could because I knew that when I got to the top, I was going to be ready, like a radiator ready to blow. But the second I made that right turn to back, get back on the main part of the run course, the wind would be at side and my bike core mm. temperature would drop. And all the other guys were very conservative. Take it easy. They were yeah. taking it easy on that uphill. And so that was, that was always a point in a number of the Ironmans where I made huge gains on everybody else and was able to use it, utilize it to be uh, a you know, winner there. So it's like transcending the sensibility and the, and the, and the uh, logistics to get a competitive advantage. Yeah, so like, yeah. you know, if I was Gustav or, or, or Christian, I might... If you guys are listening, think about if that. If you guys are year. listening, y'all listening out there in Norway, you know... That they might look at it like, oh, I can't let my core temperature get higher than X because if I do, I'll blow up. Well, you're not holding it above X for more than right. a very short period of time. Right. And that was a huge difference. Yeah. So wild. Just another intuitive thing that came that maybe wouldn't always show up on those numbers. Um, it's sort of like, uh, you know, going too fast because you're in a pack. And it's worth it because if you drop off to honor your heart rate, you're not going to be, there's no one going to be breaking the wind mm. for you. So that's where competition and mechanics kind of diverge, I guess. So, yeah, it seems like these Norwegian examples is great because they're setting records and, and doing amazing feats. So it seems like some of the athletes have progressed via the, the scientific advancements, but I feel the general sense that we're still battling the influence of the ego and things of that nature that even with all this data and maybe too much data, I don't know, in, in the population that you coach, do you have to like sometimes fight some of these battles where you want people to break free from the constraints of technology and, and, and uh, 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 type A personality? Yeah, well, my coaching now is all on TriDot and it's a, it's a platform that, that takes all of that data that happens in athletes training and integrates it in a way that would be very hard for me to do with just my brain. It's sort of like, um, it, you know, the, the AI that they've created really takes it and it, 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 the, the training in the future continually changes based on what's happening wow. in the short term and the long term for the athlete. And so, you know, when they do certain assessments, if, if you know, th they do assessments so that periodically, you know, if they are going down the other side, it'll show up and their zones will be reduced so that they they don't try to stay at that same level or keep going further. They're going to back it down so that they do recover. And uh, it, it's, it's super interesting. It's kind of like, you know, way years ago, you go to the doctor and they pull out the stethoscope and they'd stick it on your heart and your lung and they'd say, cough. Mm. And then they have to try to figure out what the heck's going on. Well, now they put you, put you in the MRI. And mm. they really see what's going on, and then the dark, doctor still interprets, you know. Mm. And it's kind of like that with TriDot. It's, it's like, I think it's the future of mm. how all, all training and all different sports is going to take place, where you take all of this data and you, you analyze it in a non-biased way. Mm. 
Like you don't, you don't, you know, the AI doesn't care whether the person has a race or, yeah. or whatever. They're just looking at going, okay, they're on track. No, they're not on track. We need to change the training mm. based on that. Mm. Uh, but then there's also, um, there's also that art and human element that, uh, still needs to be integrated in with coaching mm. and helping athletes. You know, like the human body is so complex that there's no way that any watch is going to be able to tell you everything you mm -hmm. need to know. And the watch isn't going to ask you some of the questions that will help you be introspective enough to understand mm -hmm. what it is you're doing with the sport. Why are you doing it? Why are you, um, you know, what's your purpose? What's mm -hmm. your, what's your bigger goal in this? How is, how is this enhancing your life or is it adding stress to your life? Is it enhancing your health or is it detracting from your health? Are you f being fulfilled from the day to day or are you waiting for some result to give you the joy mm. that you're looking for? You know, and so as a coach, I can continually bring pe bring people back to kind of like a, a healthier perspective on, on, on everything. And, you know, interesting talking sort of back and backtracking to, you know, what you were saying with Mark Sisson and, going to like ancient genetics and what you're doing for sure. Um, a competition is, it's an unusual stress on the body. Mm. Like, you know, for sure. Um, there were periods like if you're a hunter gatherer society, maybe you had to run for quite a while to catch a gazelle or whatever it is, you know, well, yeah, you're, you're running and your core temperature is going up and, and you're getting hotter and you override it because you got to eat. Right. Um, but beyond that, our world is so, in my opinion, so much more stressful than it probably was way back when. Like, you know, if, if you have ever been in an indigenous cultural setting where people are living very simple lives, similar to the way that, uh, that's been going on for thousands of years, they're not busy from the time they wake up until the time mm. they go to sleep. They have time where they're chilling, mm. hanging out laughing by the fire, talking with each other, just daydreaming. And, and I've seen this with myself. Like, um, you know, I, I could occupy myself day and night with coaching. You know, I could, I could be on there 24 hours a day and still not mm -hmm. feel like I'm giving everything that I have, you know, I can to the athletes, right? And so I'll just go walk outside for five minutes. Mm. And like, you get outside and you're just like, <sighs> and then I realize there's a value to daydreaming. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and they've, they've shown through science that when you're daydreaming, your creative problem solving part of your brain is working at peak capacity. Mm. It's not happening when you're at the chalkboard trying to figure something out. It's happening when you're daydreaming. Mm. And, you know, and Einstein actually echoed this. He said some of his greatest insights came when he was riding a bicycle. Mm. He was daydreaming. He wasn't at the chalkboard. He's just cruising along and he's daydreaming. And all of a sudden, you know, oh, yeah, E equals MT squared. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> I'm sure it's cool. <laughs> Let me go back to the lab and figure that out. It just came to me on my bike ride. Yeah. Oh, man. And it, it's, it's, I think about it weighs heavily on me, this, this concept, because especially like in our age group, we have this reference point of half of our lives where we didn't have the hyperconnectivity and the technology and you know, the people, the age of our offspring, they don't know any better than being completely stimulated at all times. Mm -hmm. And I have so many lost memories of 
you know, positive experience of having downtime and, you know, allowing insights to arrive naturally or reflections. And we've just, we've just squeezed that out of life mm, now. Mm. Like even in the athletic example, these guys are posting on social media after the race. I remember just going back and crashing out and eating three pineapples in a row or something. You're not punching the keyboard, mm. you know? Yeah. I, I was speaking with Tim O'Donnell a couple of years ago and, um, He's, he, he was second uh, in his best finish in Kona, went under eight hours, still didn't win. Crazy, right? Anyway, um, you know, I was saying to him, I, I cherished that off-season time from mm. the time Kona was done until basically January 1st, where I, I, I was nothing was structured. I didn't have any training that I did that was designed to put fitness in the bank. If I trained, it was because I wanted to be outside moving. And he goes, mm. you don't get that time anymore. He said, there is no downtime with social media. You're constantly having to post stuff. and Strava. Talk, <laughs> yeah, talk about your... stuff. And, and, and I'm like, I, I, think, I think that um, that's one aspect that also people don't think about as far as in interrupting their recovery. Mm -hmm. you know, Thinking that, about it, too. Yeah, you know, there's, there's less time where people are just <sighs> taking it easy, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, like... You, you, you're reading something on your your laptop, or you're scrolling through Instagram, or whether you're using your brain, and that's very different than, like in the old days, like some, you know people would. Back in the old days, when you'd read a book right before you went to bed, you know, mm. you're still using your brain, but when you're reading a book, your mind is just it's daydreaming, it's creating the scenario of what the words are talking about, you know, and so it's it's such a different way of using your mind, you know, to read a story yeah. than it is to like scroll through Instagram or scroll through Twitter, or, mm -hmm. you know, the, the biggest time sink for me is like when if you start going through TikTok, you know, you're looking at this stuff and eventually you go, what is this? this is so stupid. <laughs> yeah. That? I like the, what's the book I'm, uh, the, um, I forgot the name of this book about, um, uh, hyperconnectivity and distractibility, uh, come to think of that. The effects of modern life. I can't remember the book's name, um, but he says, you know, you you lose that capacity to focus, mm. and then you get drawn in, and so like we cannot win this battle. Is the idea floated, mm. and so instead you have to, you know, you have to plug your phone in in a different room instead of saying, I'm going to use my d motivation, discipline, and willpower to not scroll through the thing. Mm. He goes, forget it. They're, they're going to beat you every time. And it's a nice way to look at it rather than thinking. Oh, I'm such a loser. I didn't work on my book again today. I scrolled through social media. It's going to happen again and again until you build in, like you talked about going outside and taking a breather from your mm -hmm. screen. Well, you weren't on the screen at that point, but otherwise you might have didn't stuck on your screen for longer. Yeah. I mean, there's, I, you know, there's definitely, there's some value to, to like social media. Like I see some stuff on there that would be very hard to have ever learned about or seen mm. back in the day, but it's just like training, you know? You do some, it's okay. You do a lot, you, do, you overdo it. It's going to be too much like anything. So you you hung it up after that great victory, the the, the sixth consecutive in Hawaii that, back in 95. And then tell us about your, your fitness journey since then to date. And also, I'm curious if, you know, you were the most competitive guy on the planet in an incredibly grueling sport. And so is that in a pocket now? Do you live through the performances of your athletes? Are you are you charging those ways with that same competitive intensity, or do you feel like 
hey, here's a healthy new chapter where I don't have to be the grip of death anymore. Uh, but how do you extinguish that, that flame that, of course, burned in you for the first 37 years of your life? I, you know, there's, there's a big distinction between being a very successful competitor and being somebody who's very successful in competition. Mm. Which they're, they're not necessarily the same thing. So you can be a very successful competitor, meaning like you thrive on, on that. You, you intentionally go out and you seek competition to prove something, to be a competitor. For me, the, the, the biggest thrill out of triathlon was the training. And when I would make those small incremental changes in my fitness, those, those small gains or in efficiency or speed or strength or endurance, that those moments that really I, I was the only one who knew it or saw it, mm. but they meant a lot to me. And those were really, fully, really satisfying. Mm. I was not the kind of person who seeked out competition. Mm. Like I didn't. I didn't want to go out there every day with training people and have it be a race. Some people, that's how they train. You know, I could name the names. You probably, you've known some of them, but they're just hardwired that way. Uh, but uh, when I was in a race, I also didn't like to lose. So, you know, mm -hmm. I, I would give it the best that I had. And I felt like that was, that was why I was in a race, was to find out what the best I had was to give on that day. And it just happened that, you know, obviously I had a few where it was the best of anybody in the field on the day. So when I competed, when I competed, when I stopped comp competing, when I retired from competition, there wasn't a hole in my life because I didn't miss, you know, the, comp the competition part. Uh, but I, and so, but I still have that quest to be the best that I can be on any, any given day. And so, how that gets expressed is much different different than it was years ago. For mm. many years, it was trying to get a little bit better, a little faster, a little stronger. Mm. But at 65, you know, if I'm competing against my 37-year-old self, I'm losing every day, right? Mm. So what's the goal? What is, what is that measure of being the best you can be? And it simply is getting out there each day and moving my body, whether it's surfing or doing strength training or walking or riding my stationary bike or doing core work or balance work, whatever it is, trying to get the best out of it that I can. And getting the best out of it means moving in a way that uh, invigorates my body, helps me to feel alive, mm. helps me to maybe learn a little bit different way of moving than I did yesterday or doing something different on the wave than I have ever done before or maybe mm. just doing the basics better than I've ever done before or as good as I can do on that day because not every day is going to be a best ever, for sure. <laughs> Most days are going to be worse than 10 years ago, so on a, on a very measurable level. So it's all about, for me, everything now is about consistency. And I, and I have seen this with... Um, athletes in a lot of sports now santa cruz i see a lot of surfers as they age they're not consistent with their with their activity mm. like if the surf's not happening they don't do anything <laughs> and so you know without consistency as you age your your body falls off quickly and it's hard to get it back and so for me i really try to have my mantra be consistency you know each day do some kind of exercise some kind of movement, something outside, and some days are longer than others, others are shorter, 
Some are days where I'm like, yeah, I was on it. Other days I'm like, God, I could barely stand uh-huh. up or whatever. But just getting the best out of me that I can on that day and using it to refresh and, and regenerate and revitalize me as a human being. Uh, would you say that the endurance is in your blood or were you using your endurance sports as a vehicle for personal growth and challenge? Because I think there's a distinction there. And what I'm getting at is like, you know, Pete Kane, uh, your neighbor, he's been competing every season since 1987. Ken Glaw did 30 in a row in Hawaii mm-hmm. Ironman. That blows you away. That blows you out of the water, dude. You're not even yeah. not even halfway there. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like it was never in my blood in that sense where a day's not complete without beating my heart for three hours up in the zone. And I wonder how how that all plays in with what you're doing now because you're doing all these varied activities. You weren't describing 50-mile bike rides or jumping into a half marathon run to see how your 65 year old division is yeah i know ne- i know ne- i don't do anything to the point where i get home and i'm like oh, i'm wasted that was that was a great workout i'm wasted i went so hard or so long you know and it, it took a while to find the right balance you know when i quit, com- quit competing i went from this massive level of training and right away i dropped it to a half or a third and i thought oh this is sustainable you know and then as I kind of went over time, I realized, wow, this is still like in the outer limits. Oh, so, so you dropped it down to a half or a third for, for no reason. I mean, you weren't, there was no races on your calendar. No, but I was so used but, to swimming and cycling and running. Yeah. You know, I mean, so, that's a lot is what I'm saying. Yeah. For some 38-year-old dude to go out and do a half would be, you know, 2,500 in the pool, 40-mile ride. That's a lot. Yeah, well, at that point, it sounded like nothing. Right. You know, but right. then... Over time, as my sort of scale got more realistic, I realized this is still this is still a lot, and it took a, so it took a number of years to pare it down to a level that it's like okay, this is this is now sustainable. This is not depleting me. This is energizing me. This is keeping my muscles strong, keeping me flexible, mm. keeping my joints healthy. It's helping reduce my stress. Mm. I'm sleeping better at night because of the exercise that I'm mm. getting. All the positives and none of the negatives. Right. Yeah. Instead of sleeping worse, you're sleeping better. Yeah. Hey, how about that? Let's write that down in our notes <laughs> for my training training suggestions by Mark Allen. Do you sleep better or do you sleep worse? Uh, and so I guess you mentioned consistency. If we're talking about longevity and enjoying your life and, and keeping healthy, fit, active. So a consistent experience with nature and physical mm-hmm. movement is is your checkpoint it is and you know i i actually experienced how this can be a challenge and um and to, to explain it i had a, a period um just a few months ago where i had a lot of travel and then um it was in the winter and we had the most rainy winter ever that i've seen in in central california so in the wintertime, usually is when I'm in the best shape of the year because I'm surfing all the time and mm. surfing in, you know, decent-sized swells. gets you in pretty good shape, right? Well, I was hardly surfing at all because there were so many stormy days. Mm. And then even a lot of the days without storms, there was just no surf. It was the weirdest swell mm. pattern. So anyway, I had a, a, about a month and a half of pretty inconsistent exercise, and I could tell I was getting out of shape. Mark Which, Allen getting out of shape. It took till 2023, but it happened. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, and, and then finally, after this period of getting, feeling like I was getting out of shape, then I saw, then all of a sudden, 
one pound went on and two pounds and three pounds. And you have to understand, I, I have been 160 pounds basically every day since I, when I race and since, ever since then. And so for me to put on any weight is very unusual. And so I was like three or four pounds heavier. And um, finally, the surf slowly started to come back a little bit. And, and I just got more committed. It's like, okay, you're traveling. That's no excuse. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you've got all these excuses of why you're not exercising and being consistent, which has been your core thing, and you're not doing it. And so even though the surf wasn't great, you know, some days I go out, but a lot of days I was adding in my other stuff that I do, my plan B stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't as exciting for me as mm-hmm. my plan A, but it was still exercise. But as I was having to start get back to get back into consistency, I would start out the workout, and instead of that feeling of, ah, this feels good to work out, it hurt, mm-hmm. and it wasn't comfortable, and I didn't want to do the workout. And even all the way to the end of it, mm-hmm. I was like, this, this didn't make me feel better. Mm-hmm. And I realized, wow, this is, this is how people feel. This is the battle. Who don't have that consistency of exercising and, and training. And it, took, it didn't take long. You know, it took about a week of me just doing stuff, and then all of a sudden there was a shift that took place. And all of a sudden, when I would go out to exercise, it started to feel good again. Mm. And that was a tipping point. And so, you know, for anybody out there who is maybe not exercising at all or as much as they want, and when they do, it's uncomfortable, it doesn't feel good, you want to back off, you want to cut your workout short because it's not feeling good from it, Get it done anyway mm. and do it tomorrow and do it the next day and do it the next day. And at some point soon, it won't take long, you'll reach a tipping point and all of a sudden you'll be in that workout and you'll, it'll start to actually feel good. Mm. And then you might have that feeling like, oh, I want to pick up the pace a little bit. Mm. you know. And that's the magic right there. Mm. And I didn't understand it until just this year how, how that could be for people. Because I've had... I've, I, I talk lifestyle stuff with a lot of people, and some people are like, I just don't like exercise. It doesn't feel good. I'm like, what do you mean it doesn't feel good? It feels mm. good. You, know, you feel good. You go out and you do it, and you feel good. And I'm like, mm. no, I get it now. It was an interesting learning curve, an interesting learning thing for me. Yeah, I mean, it's, that applies to learning a foreign language or learning a software program. This thing's so annoying and frustrating. I hate it. Well, pretty soon it's going to cut half your workday, uh, but... You got to persevere uh, is is the message, mm. which is a tough ask today because we can pick up our phone and scroll without needing to persevere. Mm. Yeah, uh, you asked me an interesting question, uh, especially for someone who's been writing about ancestral health for a long time. If you ever spent time with a primitive population, and my answer is no, I just write about it. But <laughs> I want to know about your experience with the, the Weechal, and you spend time with them regularly, right? Yeah, I've studied with Brant Secunda, who was shaman, healer, ceremonial leader in Weechul tradition uh, many, many years ago. He was led to a 12-year apprenticeship by a 110-year-old Weechul shaman. That's it? 12 was all? Yeah. Okay. It's a 12-year apprenticeship, kind of like medical school residency, you know. It's (laughs) back to law school. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, MBA at the end. It's it's very arduous. There's a lot of... Uh, I guess you'd say suffering that goes on mm. al- along with it. But through that, he learned how to do the traditional healings and lead ceremonies, you know, to like 
bring the rain and to um, you know bless an area or bless do wedding you know do a lot of stuff. Anyway, very very powerful tradition. Uh, the Wichel people have basically kept their their shamanic tradition going for thousands of years. They were never disrupted by the Spaniards. Their culture maintained their ceremonial ways, and they. It, their ceremonies have continued. They continue today as they have for thousands and thousands. Are they of years. based in an inaccessible area or something? They're in central Mexico. Yeah. Uh, they have their own land. Like you can't just walk in and go, "Hey, mm. I'd like to be." You know, no, you can't do that. So, um, but through Brand, I've been able to go down and experience their, a lot of their key ceremonies that they do each year throughout mm. the year, and it's just it's so cool to see people that don't have a lot of material things, but they're happy and they're steady and they value community. And when they do their ceremonies, everybody's there from the little kids to the grandparents. And there's, you know, there's so few sort of sacred things that we have in our culture that all generations take part in. Mm. Um, and they, they have these, this one ceremony that they do in the fall where they, it's to bless the crops that have grown their corn and their squash and stuff. And it's also to bless the, the children the first five years that they are alive. They go through this ceremony and then at the end they kind of graduate and it's a whole thing. And um, I was looking around at all the people and going, well, they've all gone through this ceremony. You know, mm. Every one of these people. And I'm thinking, what ceremonies do we have to honor uh, life periods here in like in america you know you get your driver's license you you turn 21 and you go get drunk you know you <laughs> it's like we don't have we really don't have uh, you know maybe a wedding a, bit, a wedding ceremony. we have the yeah well, that's uh, Mac, that's for mexico you know, mitzvah you know yeah yeah we I, a little that, bit sprinkled in yeah, yeah. But, but there's so few things like that right where, it's few and far between yeah, yeah and it's it, it's really it's pretty cool to see but Anyway, that, that's also been a big part of the ease with which I transitioned out of the sport because, mm. um, you know, I saw that the sport is one part of life, it's, but it's not all of life. Life is not dependent on whether I race fast or slow. Mm -hmm. You know, the seasons are going to change, and I, I need to be a part of that. The, you know, nature has so much power and energy, and I want to be, be able to tap into that. As a human being, you know, I have a role here to, um, you know, em embrace my family and community and this earth and all that lives here and to sort of honor that position as a two-legged, two you know, that's a, a two-legged, you know, we're all... Except for sometimes when you're crawling, you're, you go down to four <laughs> and some yeah. of those worst Iron Man moments, yeah. yeah. You know, like Brant said, we all we all have the same mother, Mother Earth. We all have the same father, Father Son. You know, we're, no matter where you live on this earth or, where, or how you were born or what, how you were raised, we're all part of this earth and we're all influenced by the sun. And, you know, the air doesn't know borders. It, it flows across the entire planet. And, uh, you know, and, and, and in general, you know, we, we can't, we don't control the rain. So if the rain doesn't come, my life will will change immeasurably, and the Weetels have never had a they've never had a drought because they like they say they they do their ceremonies for the rain before there's a drought so that there isn't one. Mm. 
you know, in California, we certainly can't say that we've never had a drought. Mm. But anyway, that's a, uh, a beautiful closing, but something amusing comes to mind since I'm such a wise guy. Like you have this amazing <laughs> message and you've chosen to dispense it and interact with the most tightly wound community that you could imagine on earth, which are these extreme <laughs> endurance athletes, which are universally type A motivated, goal oriented, <laughs> driven, focused, focused on results, quantified. And um, it's an interesting blend and it's, it's making an impact. So it's so cool because I, I think the message is super important. We have enough, you know, tech expertise of people telling you about your lactate thresholds. But do you ever kind of have to, um, you know, recalibrate and rejuvenate your own energy as you're dispensing it out to the population that just wants to hit the times that you did on your track workouts? Yeah, you know, Brad, that's a... That's a great and no offense to those tightly wound listening. No. I mean, I'm I'm part of the I'm part of the crew too. So yeah, you know, I, obviously I did really well in the sport, and so I have some. I must have some aspect of that because you don't you don't become a world champ by being a slacker, right? You got to be pretty driven and on focus on certain levels. And um, so as a coach, you know, one one of the things I actually have to do is to temper people's sort of enthusiasm and temper their their need for perfection, for pe perfectionism. You know, like they want to hit all their numbers and hit all their workouts. And it's like, don't worry about that perfectionism. <laughs> Just go, go with what I call consistentism. Mm. You know, mm. think about if you do that workout today and you're wasted and you can't get up tomorrow, that's not consistent. Mm. That's, that's perfectionism today that's going to cost you tomorrow. And so thinking, think today about what you want to accomplish today and will that allow you to also accomplish what you want to tomorrow. So a lot of times I'm, as a coach and, of triathletes, I'm having to sort of temper the enthusiasm a little bit. And then I, I also, you know, not everybody obviously is going to hit a PR or a placing that they want in the race. And so a lot of times they get, they can kind of get bummed or mm. maybe their training's not going the way they hope. And, and that's where I really try to bring it back to, um, just that sense of, you know, this this is not about a result. This is about the journey. This is about you feeling uh, fulfilled and satisfied and uh, enriched by what you're doing day in and day out with your training. Because if that doesn't feed you, mm. no result is going to fill the hole. Mm. No result is going to make up for what you will feel like you had to sacrifice to get that goal. Mm -hmm. Like if your training feels like a sacrifice, the result will never be fulfilling mm. enough for you. Mm -hmm. You know, and so, and, and COVID really brought this around for a lot of the athletes. Like, all of a sudden, racing was ripped out from underneath them. Mm. And so they're like, what am I training for? What am I training yeah. for? And I'm like, whoa, it's fun. <laughs> step back for a second here. Yeah. yeah. How do you feel when you train? Yeah. Well, I feel good. You know, it, it's, it's a personal goal. Like each day when I get out, that there you go. It's something that day to day is is that journey, and it, and it sounds ooh the journey, you know. But it, it truly is like, and it's the community of people that you train with, and 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 just those those moments where, like I said, you know, I would do something that I had never done before that nobody else will see. It'll never show up in a magazine. Nobody mm -hmm. will know I did it. But it's it's in my DNA now. Yeah. I, I did something a little bit better than I thought I mm -hmm. could today. 
mm-hmm. and that's pretty cool. And that's ultimately that's what I try to in, in, in sort of embark on the athletes that I coach do mm-hmm. try dot. You know, it's like this is there's definitely numbers in here, but this is a human experience that you're going mm-hmm. through, and mm-hmm. I just want to help you be, have a great experience here. Mark Allen, people, where do we uh, connect with you and sign up for coaching if? If you're inclined in the endurance activities, I strongly recommend, in fact, insist that you hook up with Mark to do it. Yeah, Mark. Do it on the journey, man. If you go to trydot.com and uh, mm. look up Mark Allen Premium, I'm still taking personal clients for this year. I, I've got a lot, I, I've created a lot of space this year for my personal clients. And part of the reason is going back to the very beginning of our conversation when we were talking about how. Uh, this year in Kona, it's going to be an all-women's race. Mm. So there will be a, signific- a significantly greater number of women racing in Kona than had ever. Oh, sure, right. You know, bigger field. That's cool. Bigger field. I mean, last year, you know, I should take it back. Last year and this year, but this year it's going to be kind of different. Like, just because it is purely a women's race, I think it's going to have a lot more gravitas kind of feel. Mm. So there's going to be a lot of women who are going there that probably never thought they could qualify for the mm-hmm. Ironman World Championship when it was both men and women because mm-hmm. there's only 2,500 slots total. Now all 2,500 slots are going for the w- two women. And so exciting as that is for those who are now qualifying for the first time, there's going to be an element of like, oh shit, what did I get myself into? You know, because Kona it does have its own, its own gravity, its own intensity, its own mm-hmm. anticipation. And so I would love to help a lot of those women who are especially going there for the first time to, you know, give them the training that'll get them across that finish line and also give them the ease that they'll need to just go, hey, you know what, this is going to be friggin' awesome. Wow. That sounds like, I love the idea. That's great. Is Paul Huddle going to cancel the underpants run subsequently <laughs> since it's all females there? You, that's a darn good question. I don't know. I mean, they have it every year, right? Uh, the tradition has to stay. Yeah, I guess so. Okay, Mark Allen, thanks for joining us. Monsieur Mark Allen, championnat du monde du triathlon. Merci, Bud Kearns. Bringing it. I'm pleased to present B-Rad Grass-Fed Whey Protein Isolate Superfuel, the absolute highest quality, all-natural protein supplement infused with creatine that delivers everything you need to optimize your appetite for fat loss, recover quickly from workouts, and build and maintain Lean muscle mass, the single most important attribute for aging gracefully. Our protein comes directly from small family farms in America's dairy land of Wisconsin. It's cold processed and micro filtered for maximum bioavailability and digestibility. So please don't mess with the many cheap commodity protein supplements that are ineffective, inferior, less pure, and often contain junk sweeteners especially the plant-based offerings that are vastly less bioavailable than the gold standard of protein supplements that's whey protein isolate. Whether you're in your peak athletic years looking to grow and recover or in the older age groups trying to delay aging and decline, whey and creatine are widely agreed to be the most critical and effective supplements to take for the rest of your life. You can easily stir the superfuel in water or make a delicious smoothie every day. I'm certain that you're going to love the pleasant, light, natural vanilla bean and cocoa bean flavors. 
So try some on Amazon today. It's a huge hit with dozens of five-star reviews. Or you can order direct from bradnutrition.com with our buy three, get one free, and make the super fuel a centerpiece of your daily routine. Thank you so much for listening to the B-Rad Podcast. We appreciate all feedback and suggestions. Email podcast at bradventures.com and visit bradkearns.com to download five free eBooks and learn some great long cuts to a longer life, how to optimize testosterone naturally, become a dark chocolate connoisseur, and transition to a barefoot and minimalist shoe lifestyle.